there are six basic principles that have made the cross effective. And, and they are like this. First of all, the cross is a complete work. Redemption is not half achieved. It's completely achieved. It is an eternal work, which means what was done can never stop operating, fail, or fade away. Number three is that the, the wrath was poured out and the enemy has been defeated. That's foundational. So these foundations are actually what happens <clears throat> when the cross is applied to our life. So I'm going to share a little bit about that this morning. For instance, another basic principle is revealed the love of God. But when the wrath was poured out, it revealed the wrath of God. The disdain that he had for Satan and sin. God did not compromise what he was going to do. And so this morning, I want to share a little bit on the cross is God's complete work of redemption. <clears throat> In Colossians, some of this is actually quite simple. In Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Redemption's completion is Christ in you. His complete work is in you. you. You can't add to it. His complete work is in you. What's the result of that? Hope. The complete work of the cross, Christ in you, is our hope of Glory. And, and the definition of glory is about that long. One of the first definitions of it means opinions. It's his opinion. It's like, what does it mean that Christ is in us? His opinions are in us. His thoughts are in us. His eyes are in us. His ears are in us. He's in us. So Christ in you is a double portion. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because Christ is the anointed one. <clears throat> and so you can't separate Christ from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit from Christ, although they're individuals. But the Holy Spirit's in us, Christ is in us, and the Holy Spirit's upon us. Why? <clears throat> because of the complete work. There, there is no other reason why. Complete redemption in Christ in you. He gave you life, identity, freedom, sources, and destiny. All packaged up through the cross. 
This is no, there is no other plan. The cross has never been plan B or an afterthought because he failed to see the future. Now, there are some preachers that preach that. God's all-knowing. What is eternal is always that which will always be complete. What is eternal is never partial. So when he redeemed you eternally means it's complete. And, you know, as I look at this, I think, Lord, why do I sometimes wonder whether I'm saved or not? When actually his scriptures tell me that I shouldn't even think that. It is difficult to imagine that an all-knowing, all-seeing God would not have a complete plan. So, as I look at my wife, I have to see that God has completely redeemed her. That helps me not get mad at her. Did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Yeah, he did. So why are we so intimidated by the devil? He has no authority in our life. It's it's complete. It's not half done. And he is in us, and we are in him. Think about that for a moment. The one who destroyed the power of control is in us. We don't have to try to muster up the control. It's in us. We live it. We, we just live it. We speak it. That means he's in us and we are in him. That means we're not victims, we're victors. Believers are never victims unless you allow yourself to be victimized. And how do you get victimized? By not standing on the truth makes you susceptible to the lie. Hallelujah. Christ submitted to being a victim on the cross. I know you've never heard that before. He was victimized by the Father. And Lucifer, Satan, victimized Adam and Eve. They became victims of his lies, and then they were actually captured to his control. 
But Jesus became sin for us, which means everything that we have ever been victimized by, Jesus destroyed its power and nailed it to the cross. We're not victims, we're victors. All three categories were put on Christ. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He took the whole package of deception and sin upon himself, and he became that so that we don't have to live in it. It is he who became sin for us. So we can be free from being a victim of the devil, sin, failure, sickness, alcohol, drugs, sex abuse, lying, and every evil system in this fallen world. Because he says, I have overcome the world. He's in us. The one who overcame is in us. We are overcomers in Christ. We can walk in that which he has overcome by faith and confidence that it's already done. Hey, that rhymed. Because it's through Christ's death on the cross that we have been placed into the position of a victor's life. Always a victor. This is a challenge. Always a victor in our feelings, our thinking, our function, by living in what he has conquered and expected. Christ in you lives a victorious life. Can you imagine that? Christ in us is never defeated. He's never discouraged. So, so what's wrong with me? Well, I think because I live more in the carnal man than I live in who I actually am. And we pay more attention to our weakness and our frailty to the point where we forget about who we are or we forget who's in us and we forget what he's done who's in us. And I think my life has been since I've been trying to concentrate on living of the new creation of who I actually am in Christ Jesus and not my frail old body. My feeble mind and my rotten attitude doesn't belong in my life. In the new creation, it's not there. So why do I exercise it? Because I fall to the control of the old man. Don't blame the devil. He's been taken care of. I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. Make what he has declared your way of life. Make it. 
Make it your way. You make it your way of life. It's your choice. We can live that way because of the following truths. Number one, your completeness puts you in the position of life and authority in Christ. Your completeness puts you in a position of life and authority in Christ. That, that's where God's put us. And I thought to myself, Nelson, you need to live there. You've you got to live there every day. Colossians 2.9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now listen how he marries his fullness to us. And you are complete in him. It's his fullness in you that makes the work complete. And then not only that, his fullness in you puts you in a position that he's in far above all principalities and powers. <laughs> wow. Completeness is, that is the entire measurement, the sum total, the full measure, complete amount of what Jesus accomplished is ours to live in. Let's just say that this is God. Now, this glass represents us. This glass is complete in itself, but it's not complete until God pours his life into it. To the full measure, to the full measure, you're not half full. The full measure. And then the cup runs over into the world. Now this cup is complete. The cup's not complete unless it is full of what it can be used for. That's you and I. We are complete in him. There are no deficiencies. There are no shortcomings. There are no failures in the new creation. Oh, man, I'll tell you. I look at this as I study this and think, God, help me. Help me focus on who I really am in you and get my mind off of myself. Have you ever had a failure overtake you? I have. But we are, we have been, the fullness of him, the fullness of him, the full measure of who he is, is in us. 
Hallelujah. His completeness in you is beyond measure. Overflowing spiritual power, wealth in abundance. We have more than enough to live in the new creation. His fullness is what will bring you to the desired end of fulfillment that is a true completion. Let me say that one again. I have a hard time putting things in words properly, so yeah. His fullness is what will bring you and I to the desire, to the desired end of fulfillment. That is a true completion. In other words, the new creation is headed for a completion that is immeasurable. Number two, don't try to understand it all, but by faith walk in his fullness. Hallelujah. <laughs> walk in his fullness. And if, if you get a little bit down, he'll just pour more in. Ephesians 3.19, and to, to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, that was an inspired prayer from heaven for Paul to pray for the Ephesian church. Let me read it this way. I, God, want you to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all, and, and I'm going to fill you with all of who I am. Can I illustrate something this morning? There's two people who want to volunteer. Three people. I need three people. Okay, come on, Brad. Veronica, you can come too. I need one more person. Okay, thank you. Okay, just come right up here. I want to illustrate something to you when you read the Bible. Just, just come over here. Okay, uh, uh, Olivia, I want you to tell Brad that Veronica loves him. Come over here. You, you tell Brad. Now, that's second hand. I'll get it firsthand. Uh, what a difference, huh? Thank you. Why I'm illustrating that is this. Do you ever put God in first place in the verse? Why does the deceiver try to make booty of us? His deception is for the purpose of a secret domination. That's why. 
And the law of sin that's in us has the same attitude. His deception is for the purpose of a secret domination. Deception always operates with empty, deceitful philosophy. Their doctrine is deceitful, human invention, like Satan's evil world. Their life teaching stands, their life teaching stands in contradiction to truth. We, we saw that in the garden. We, we read about it in the garden. Satan did this in the garden to Eve. Has God said? Yeah, he did. But Satan questioned it. Why? He wanted to deceive them, but why, why that way? He questioned God's word to nullify the authority they were entrusted with. He said, have dominion, take dominion. The moment you question God's word, you're susceptible. You open yourself up to something that God's not in. So I think to myself, well, I'm just going to do the word. Because he who does the word, he builds his life on a solid foundation. Storms can come and hammer you all you want. See, that's the new creation. The cross is a complete work. The only thing I have to do is live in who he made me to be in Christ. Think of Adam and Eve. Doubting what God said left them without God given resources to function in the commission that he spoke into them. He said, take dominion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those are eternal words. They don't fail, they don't fall, they don't ever pass, and they don't ever go away. They were left wanting in the state of embarrassment and shame, not knowing which way to turn. They ended up being at loss and with, within their heart, uh, a loss within their own hearts. They lost. Satan is a loser, but we are his bruiser. Their divine state of being perplexed. It looked, it looked and it felt good when they looked at the tree. It looked and felt good. And intrigued them as to who they could be like and what they could know. 
they were already like God. <laughs> Deception tries to make you think you're not. However, God came to them in their complete failure, shame, fear, loss, and covered their nakedness and their shame. That's our God. And then he said, you know what? The seed, your seed, he's going to crush his head. He made them the victors. He did the same thing for us. He came to us. took our complete failures, our shame, our fears, our losses, and he covered us with a robe of righteousness. That puts you and I in a superior position. We, we actually, we are in a superior position. We're not an inferior position. We are in a superior, a very superior position in him. This is God's eternal, infallible plan we have been birthed into. We have been birthed into the victor's life. We have been birthed into the conqueror. We have been birthed into somebody who never loses. Being born again is more than being saved. There's a whole picture behind this, and, and I wish I had time to <clears throat> really go into it, but it, it just, just think of it. This is God's eternal, infallible plan we have been birthed into. <clears throat> Let me describe that to you. It's eternal, which means it can't fail or end or fade away or be negatively affected. And it's infallible. How do I walk in the infallible plan of God? By determining how I respond to situations. And what part of my life am I living in? <clears throat> Do I allow the carnal mind to take control? Do I allow the carnal attitude to take control? Or do I say, no, I don't have to do that. That's all they have to say is no. God told us not to do it, so we're not going to do it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number three, you stand in Christ your stand in Christ is perfect. Let me read you the verse. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, and in bond serving Christ, Christ Jesus, send you greetings. He is always striving for you in his prayers, praying with genuine concern 
pleading that you may be a people of character and courage, stand firm, spiritually mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. Wow. His prayer was concentrated on the will of God. Can you imagine that? He wasn't saying, well, you know, just look at your weakness. No, no, no. Look at the will of God. And what really reveals me there, the cross makes prayer real and very effective. If it wasn't for the cross, our prayers would be meaningless. Note the prayer language of every preface. It is not his own idea. He prayed the will of God. Paul said he is asking God that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a complete work. The cross is a complete work. He is the perfect, number five, the last one, he is the perfect that is in you. Recognize it, live it. He is the perfect that is in you. Recognize it and live in it. Just live it. This is, this is basically what he's saying. This is God telling Paul to the Colossian people, this is how I see you. This is what I have done for you. I can't see you in any other way than what I've done for you. Brought to its end, finished, that's perfect. That means you have been brought to the final standing position in Christ. That's complete. The cross brought you into the final standing position in Christ. He brought us there. He he brought us there. He didn't leave us out there. No, he says, you're with me. And he says, in my place where I have put you. This is God now talking. These words meant something. So God is saying to them, you're wanting, you're, you're wanting nothing necessary to complete you. There is no lack of you. You are complete. There's nothing. There's no lack in the new creation. There's no lack. You're, you're complete in him. You're perfect. It's kind of like a new baby being born. They're just perfect. Christ in you is all that is needed. That means there is no lack in who you are. You see, people try to discover who they are. I think we should discover who's in us because that's who we really are. The perfect is flawless, divine, oh my, 
integrity, divine integrity, virtue, full grown, mature. Let me put it this way. God would say, I brought you to a place where you lack nothing because the price is all paid. I brought you, I brought you to your final standing in Jesus because he paid the price. I brought you to the place of being flawless, divine integrity, virtue, full-grown, age, and mature. I brought you there because he paid the price. Wow. God did not birth us to remain infants. He's not going to forever put the bottle in our mouth. Like Paul said to the Hebrews, now you, you can't even eat meat. You've got to keep getting milk. But to come to maturity and function with authority in his kingdom. Don't ever base who you are according to failures because that is a false view of who you really are in Christ Jesus. It's a false view. The new creation that he birthed you into is not a failure. I would like to, I want to read this passage of scripture. This is God's conclusion for you. I'm going to put it in the first person. But I, God, being so very rich in mercy because of my great wonderful love with which I loved you, even when you were spiritually dead and separated from me because of your sins, I made you spiritually alive together with Christ for by my grace. My undeserved favor and mercy, you have been, by my undeserved mercy, you have been saved from my judgment. I raised you up together with Jesus when you believed, and I seated you with Christ Jesus in heavenly places because you are in Christ Jesus. So I I just put it like the Father's talking to us. I, that's why I had them come and illustrate this. You know, it's one thing to receive something from somebody else, but when you receive it straight from God, so when you read the scriptures, but I, God, being so very rich in mercy because of my great wonderful love with which I loved you, 
even when you were spiritually dead and separated from me because of your sins, I made you spiritually alive together with Christ. You have been saved from my judgment because the wrath was poured out on Jesus. Do you see the connection? God's not here judging you, my friend. He's giving you life. Hallelujah. What I would encourage you to do with these notes, I, I have some, if you want some. <clears throat> what I have not done <laughs> is this. I picked a verse out of a passage. But if you really want to dig into this subject, take these notes and go to, the, to where the verse is and go to the passage and read the passage. It'll explode in your face. No kidding. There's so much truth. There's so much truth. This is just a, just a verse. The magnitude of his revelation of who he is takes us beyond who we are and into the realm of who he is, which means all things are possible to those who believe. God bless you. You want to pray, David? Don't just ask for the notes by the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. You Amen. You stand. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Give you grace. The Lord lift his countenance upon you give you peace. Amen. God bless you.